welcome to the first episode of Ugliness and Success, where I, Sierra Simpson, sit down and have a conversation with various people who some may deem as common, but aren't that common at all in who they are, what they do, how they lead, and what they've been able to achieve. So let's hear about their journey to success. Without further ado, let's get to it. I am very, very excited about today's guest. She is from South Carolina and she grew up in Virginia. This person is the epitome of a boss lady, okay? Um, and more importantly too, she's a black woman in leadership where she is able to impact young people as well as her colleagues on a day-to-day -day basis. She is a leader that people love to follow. Um, she's a graduate of Vanderbilt University, yes, Vandy, one of the top academic institutions in the country, all right, and uh, there she was able to earn her degree in human and organizational development. From there, she went on to be an English teacher, and within a short time of being one, she was quickly named assistant principal, and will probably have her own school when it's all said and done, or maybe in a couple of years, um, but since being at Booker T. Washington High School, she has had the highest AP English pass rate um, of all open enrollment high schools in the city of New Orleans. Yes, the whole city, and New Orleans is a big city, okay? And, you know, she just has a strong passion to create change and opportunity for the kids within her school and community. And by the way, she also has her own uh, consulting business for high school curriculum and instruction. So, like I said at the beginning, a boss. All right, and I'm talking about my family, known her since I was fresh out the womb, kicking in the onesies, <laughs> kicking in the onesies, Alexis Simpson McGee. Welcome to the show, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me. Your intro was so good. I feel like so good about myself after hearing that. You I need a hype, hype woman spirit every day. That's what I'm here for. I'm just trying to be a good teammate and just, you know, just, just hype you up. That's what, that's what I got to do. But no, seriously, I really, you know, wanted you on the show. We talked about this a little bit. I wanted you on the show and especially the first episode to really kick it off because one thing, and I don't know how much I really told you this, but I really admire your perspective. I always have. And just, you know, like you're somebody too that every time, you know, there's a family friend gathering and, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, whatever, you always start in the debates and the, Usually, yes. Yes, in the thought-provoking conversations that gets the whole room all riled up. And uh, we love it, though. And I love it especially because I leave it learning something new and, you know, going just thinking deeper on a, on a, on a topic that maybe I wasn't um, seeing it maybe in the right light uh, prior to, you know, us talking. And so, um, like I said, I just think other people need to hear your story, your, your perspective as well. Um, that it would do them some good um, just because you have incredible insight and you know I was thinking about this recently too like you and your sister shout out to Devin um, <laughs> throw her in there yep. have um, been talking social justice since I can remember you know like just just anytime we got together um, and, and just being so uh, diligent about having those those tough conversations and intentional about it too and also just wanting to educate us uh, or the, just the people in the room and also doing the work too, like being one of your, your, your word and going out and, and touching the community, especially like New Orleans and people should know, you know, what that 
community is like and if they don't they better they, they need to look into it to where they can help but um <laughs> you know I, I just applaud that and so that that says a lot you know you you're the uh, epitome of uh sue me i'm rooting for everybody that's black before uh Issa ray said it before wale dropped some bars on it like that that's <laughs> all day <laughs> I wish some some of our family does not share the same appreciation. I'm thinking back to all those Christmases where one time around I walked out of grandma's house and was like, I'm done with all of y'all. I remember that. I remember that. And especially like Papa Wentz just walking in and looking and walking out like, but but right now, you know, he would be proud of it. You know, he's proud of what, what you're doing and just just all the all the grandkids. But yeah, those are some some great conversations and um, and yeah, so it's pretty, it's pretty special. I appreciate it. So thank you so much for, for being on this, this call with me and, and having this conversation because I know it's a busy time for you, um, obviously, uh, being a teacher during this pandemic and starting school and that kind of thing. But um, let's, let's get into it. You ready? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. So to, to start it off, let's talk about how you define success and, and what it looks like to you. You know, a lot of times, people kind of can be on two different ends of the spectrum where um, one side they're more materialistic and they're thinking of what success is or it could be more intangible. So talk, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, I entered education, so I don't define success by money because I'm never going to make a lot of money in this work. Yeah. Um, but I think I've always really defined success by like the shade that we create for other people. So like things might be hard for us right now, but do we make things better for the next set of folks that come up behind us, like the next generation? So success for me is always like leaving something better than I found it and mm -hmm. making spaces more just, more equitable, more fair for black people, right? Like that, like I'm rooting for everybody black, like I really am. And so I think my success is always defined on like, how do I make the spaces I exist in better for the black kids and the black families that I had the privilege of serving? Yeah. I love that. I love that. That's special. So to kind of let's go back a little bit and talk about kind of the ugliness or, you know, the, those highs and lows before getting to the position you are in now. What ha what was the hardest part of your journey dating back to Vanderbilt and how did you overcome some of those challenges? I think the hardest part of Vandy was just being surrounded by so much whiteness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think people, I mean, like living in Northern Virginia, like it was a very white dominant space, but like Vanderbilt takes white dominant to a whole different level because yeah. it's like white dominant, but there's also so much economic privilege there yeah. that like even growing up in a middle-class family, I never had seen or experienced before. So you're just like compounding all these levels of like power and privilege that I've never had access to before yeah. and trying to figure out how to best navigate those. And I would say... I just experienced so much racism in that space. Um, but I appreciate it in some ways now, like building that tough skin because like I see things, I see things that I experience that I don't want my kids to have to experience, right? Um, and I can have really honest conversation with them about those things. But I think the, yeah, I mean, Vandy was a tough place to be as a, as a black woman for sure. Um, just because it is a very white dominant space. Right, and I remember us having some of those conversations. Actually, this might have been this past Christmas, and um, I think I had maybe asked you about that, and, and y'all were talking about how uh, you and your husband talking about 
man, there are kids and they're talking about, oh, I'm going to my yacht this weekend. I'm going to do this. I'm like, no, I'm trying to, I'm trying to yes. stay, stay in the library, get this stuff done. I got to work, you know, twice as hard as, as you do to get what you have or, you know, just like you said, whatever way you define success or happiness, you know what I mean? So that makes a lot of sense. And, and hopefully people are seeing that more in the climate that we're in now and, and seeing that, that privilege that exists. So I hope, so. I hope yeah, we hope. Um, so how and why did you choose New Orleans as your destination to teach, especially coming out of, you know, Vanderbilt? It's two totally different backgrounds and just, you know, economic uh, societies and, and all of that. So speak to that. Well, you know, I didn't teach for America, so they, you don't really pick, they pick for you. So I've ranked a bunch of cities and I've never been to New Orleans. So how I decided to rank it number four of my list, I don't even remember like why that I thought that was a good idea. Like I you remember ranking asked me because the food is amazing. I would have told you go for the food. <laughs> well, yeah, like I knew it was like, I picked cities that were predominantly black because I really wanted to teach black students. Right. So GC, Baltimore, New Orleans, like places like that. Those are like my top three, top four places. But I never really thought I would end up in New Orleans. And I think I was really, really, I remember being so stunned that I was moving to New Orleans. Like I had never been there before. I knew nothing about New Orleans, but that it was black and like that Hurricane Katrina happened and that the city was like rebuilding. I had like a very limited perspective right. on the place. And um, so it was random. I remember my dad just being like, you're moving where to do what? I can see that. I went to Vanderbilt. I spent all this money on this Vanderbilt education, right. which he really didn't spend any money on, but he loves to say that he did. He spent of so course. much. Okay. Um, and he the was just shocked. on the planet, too, by the way. The, what? the cheapest man on the planet, too, I think. Oh, yeah. Other you know. You know. Yeah. yeah my, your uncle is Frugal McDougal, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he just was, everybody was shocked. And I love New Orleans so much now. I didn't know what to expect when I got here, though. Yeah. Yeah. And so now kind of speak to since you're, you know, in the position, you get down there to New Orleans and you start teaching at Booker T. Washington High School. You know, what what helped you, you know, earn the assistant principal title? Because you weren't there that long before you got that. And you are I mean, clearly you had to be making a great impact on your students. But talk about that as well. What what kind of you know characteristics or attributes contribute to that? No, I don't ever really know like how I ended up doing this work. I think like I always tell people I feel like I like be like consistency sometimes really does win out. Like doing something well every single day, like without fail, is like can be really impressive to people, right? Like and it's just yeah. like I think I think it's hard for the average person to just be consistent, right? To like show up every day at your job and like be consistent in your output, be consistent in your work, like. Um, and I would say that's probably how I ended up here. I don't think that as a teacher, I think I was a really good teacher. I don't think I was the best teacher in our building. I don't think that, um, I think there were definitely people who are better at the job than me. I think I just always won by being consistent. Every time you walked in, you got the same experience. Everything I turned in was like up high, you know, like just that, just like doing this, doing things well, consistently sometimes just wins you know I don't really know if there's any other secret to it than that yeah yeah I like that consistency is key you're going to get some great results if you stay true to who you are and what you do you know so going through you know all those highs and lows 
to your path of success? Did it make you question your goals or, you know, make you second guess if you really wanted to, to teach, especially, you know, your first year down in, in New Orleans and that, that environment at that school? You know, what was your thought process there? Yeah, when I first moved to New Orleans, so I taught at two high schools here. Mm -hmm. I spent my first three years here at um, our first KIPP high school, which is Frederick Douglass High School. And then it was KIPP Renaissance when I taught there. And then I came to Booker T after three years at, this, at my first school. And I would say my first year teaching, I hated it. I, and I never liked to, to lie or sugarcoat this to people, especially people who are new to this profession. Like, I hated teaching. Yeah. This was the hardest thing I had ever done. I think the first month of school, I, like, came home and cried every day. I never was going to cry at work because I didn't want anybody to see me sweat like that, but I had never felt like I was like failing at something so much like I felt about teaching like every day just felt like an epic failure like I just was not you know like I just wasn't seeing it was just hard like yeah. it was the hardest thing I had ever done I was not prepared for how hard teaching in this environment would be or teaching in any school is like teaching is a really hard job I just think I had been so successful as a young person I just thought I would be good at this and teaching was my first dose of like real failure well go a little bit deeper with that like you talked about you weren't really ready for what it looked like teaching in that environment and with those you know kinds of kids talk about that a little bit there is just like so much more that we do as teachers than like the teaching you know mm -hmm. and there are like so many like factors and other systems that influence this environment that influence what happens in your classroom and it takes a person who can really understand the context of all those things to do this job well and you know I'm not from New Orleans mm -hmm. I, and there's like and there's a lot of cultural capital that you need in this city to be successful you really have got to understand the culture here and the people and their sense of community and their values and that's a learning curve in itself, right? And then I didn't major in education in college, right? Like I did Teach for America. So this is not my this is not my wheelhouse. I like my major led to jobs in consulting and business and like the nonprofit sector. It didn't lead to everyday direct service work inside of school, teaching kids world world history at the time. So I mean I had taken a history class since high school. Like there were just so many things that I just did not know, right? Like I'm planning lessons. I don't know how to lesson plan. I'm learning world history as I'm teaching kids world history. Kids in my class were, I was teaching the 12th grade and I was 22. I had kids in my class who were 19 and 20 years old and I'm 22. And I'm trying to like command like respect and authority in a space where kids are, kids are look, they look like me. They're not kids. Right. We're like the same literal age, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And I'm five, right. And I'm five foot two and I'm super short and you're trying to build like respect and rapport with kids. And I would say like the first year was really, really hard. Yeah. And there were definitely times when I said, okay, you know, you don't actually have to do this, right? Like you could move, you can leave here. You could do something totally different. You can make way more money. Life would be so much easier. You wouldn't be working 80 hours a week. You could work 40 like everybody else. <laughs> like, right. Um, so, so there were definitely low moments. So, so through that, that ugliness, that, you know, that's a lot right there to kind of unpack, you know, how did you figure out your why to stay in it, you know, and to continue to pour into those kids and, you know, at that school and also moving on to uh, Booker T. Washington? Yeah, I think every, after my first year, I was like, okay, well, you committed to two, right? So finish it. 
but I really had my heart set on going to law school, to be honest with you. And when I taught my second year, there was something about the kids that I taught. I thought like, I really fell in love with these kids. Like they were just like, so they were such, they had, they, we had so much fun and they were so great. And they had so much like love for each other in this really cool community. Yeah. And I wasn't a first year teacher anymore. So I had like my feet underneath me, right? Like I was getting better. I understood how to lesson plan. I was learning really, I was like, there was a, there was a huge, like up, like uptick, I guess, in my performance at the second year teacher. So I wasn't feeling like a failure every day. And I was having a lot of fun doing this job. And somewhere in that second year, I just said, maybe I'm not meant to be a lawyer. Like maybe that actually isn't what I was supposed to do, even though that's what I've been thinking I was going to do probably since I was like 12 or maybe even younger. Right. Like, maybe this is what I'm really meant to do and I'm like need to I need some more time to figure that out and so I remember telling my dad I was going to teach a third year and he was shocked yeah and like really kind of disappointed I think I think he really thought that I was like gonna kind of get myself together and you know go to law school and do the things that made you know most sense to people I think even people in our family were super shocked right yeah I decided to keep teaching um and I think maybe I was too, to be honest. I never got into teaching to be a teacher. Right. I got into it because I really wanted to do, be a lawyer and do education policy work. And I felt like it was wrong to do policy if you had never taught. That makes sense. Um, but I think I realized I'm meant to be like an indirect service and teaching is indirect service of kids and, and families. And it just seemed like if I couldn't be around kids and if I had to sit at a desk all day and I couldn't like laugh at lunch duty, and like talk to kids about their day and like notice when kids got new hairstyles and new haircuts yeah. you know and like ask kids how you lay your edges like that because I'm trying to be like you like right. if I could do all those things that were so that make the work fun right even though it's really hard you can't do that in any other profession and if I couldn't be around kids I decided I didn't think I wanted to do it yeah and so yeah. I like really committed to this I think it's good too that you stayed in it because there needs to be more black females and males that are teaching because kids need to see that as they're growing up especially in you know a community like yours but even you know even in South Carolina in certain places you know right. like there needs to be more representation in leadership roles um for our you know younger generations to move forward in a, in a positive way but they, they have to see it done the right way and so I think that's good that you you decided to stay in it and I think it's just funny like like God, God is funny. You know, you think you have one thing set, right? And he'll just come and he'll just change it. Like, no, this is the path you really need to take. And you just kind of right. trust in that and stay in the course. Uh, it was good. So I do agree with you like that. Like, I don't know. I think I see this work we get to do for like our own people mm -hmm. is like really sacred work, right? Like yeah. when black girls get a chance to see themselves in me, that's like, that's something I don't take for granted at all. Like in something that really means really means the world to me like yeah. to be able to be a role model for kids and my kids say oh Miss Simpson like where you get your clothes from I really want to dress like that I have an interview coming up and I want to like look my best or how do you do this or like could you help me with this like you know it, like those things you just they like really mean a lot like getting to be a mirror for kids of of like to them and, and for them saying like you know you're like really successful like how do I do that like yeah. or how do I learn this from you or can you help me with this it means a lot and when you get to do that for people who look just like you, that really means a lot. Yeah, it's all the more special, for sure.
for sure. So, you know, talking about your why and you, you know, staying in it and, and just kind of battling through that ugliness, you know, what people also with that need confidence and just the preparation to execute it. And you talked about, you know, your first year and not feeling prepared, not ready because you really didn't even, um, you know, major in education. You know, you just did it because you thought it was going to help you be a lawyer. So, you know, how did you gain that confidence or that belief in yourself going into that second year to where you were able to just turn it around and really carry it out? I think I had to, I'm like a perfectionist. So I think I'm somebody that like is constantly beating up on themselves like I'm like always just like oh that could be so much better every lesson I'm like oh I did this thing wrong I wish it but I think what built my confidence in teaching was actually like realizing the small wins like every day I'm getting better at blank like yeah. yes these four things did not go well but this thing I did better than I've ever done it before um and I think just taking stock of your like continued improvement over time yeah is um I think how I built the confidence to keep doing the work but I would say like the affirmation from other people who were seeing me improve when I couldn't see it in myself and saying like you're really getting better at this like I remember my principal being like you really shouldn't walk away from this profession like you're getting really good at this like I see a lot of potential in you and like those things that people were saying and doing that was making me feel like okay you know like I am getting better and people are like validating what I think is happening or they're validating it for me, when I'm not able to do for myself as someone who is crazy in the perfectionist lane. Right, right. That's important, too, to kind of get that validation from other people. Like, I know sometimes people are like, oh, I don't care about the opinions of others. But sometimes when you're just starting to get into something, you have to rely on, you know, the strong people around you. Like, you're only as good as, as the people around you, right? So I think that's, that's important sometimes for people that are, you know, in even bigger leadership roles. So like your principal coming up to you, like, Hey, you got, you got something going on right here. You need to, you need to stay with it. We're cooking something now. You know, I think any, anybody that really wants to be successful, we do care what other people think. And I think like saying those things actually isn't really helpful to you. Like, because you, everybody wants to be shouted out and praised and valued for the work they do right there's nothing worse than feeling undervalued and I think people say like oh I don't care what people think it's just like a it's like a it's like a defense mechanism that we built because it is hard to feel unseen unheard undervalued you know what I mean and yeah. so like we say that so then it doesn't it doesn't hurt as bad when no one says anything yeah. but I think we all really do care about that kind of stuff I think that's an important word that you just said too like people feeling um unvalued or, or underappreciated like value is a part of success like if you're valuable people are going to want you in a room so find a way to make yourself valuable you know mm -hmm. to to be in the rooms you want to be in or reach the goals that you want to reach so i think that's that's key being valuable so now let's talk about you know since being in the position that you're in now um talk about the impact you've been able to make on the students and the colleagues that you've come in contact with because obviously you're, you're have some more time in and you, you know, were named assistant principal. So talk about what that's looked like for you now, that impact. Yeah, I think the cool thing about being an assistant principal is like when you're a teacher, your impact is the kids you teach, right? Like it's, it's like, um, it's your classroom. And I always really value that experience. But what I like about being an AP is that impact is now like, I coach 12 teachers, right? So for those 12 teachers, it's all of their classrooms, right? I get to see 
the action steps and the feedback that I give them have an impact on their students. That's way more kids than I could have ever impacted in the classroom as a teacher. Also as an AP, right, we all like take on parts of our school structure. So like I get to own a lot of things that are academic and instructional in nature, like curriculum, like content, like, and getting a chance to decide what books kids read across four grade levels, you know, is like getting a chance, that's, that's really important. That's really huge to me, right? Like getting to decide the testing strategy and the way that we prepare kids for the ACT is a big gateway and opportunity maker for kids in my school. So I really appreciate the chance to have way more stake in kids' academic success now in this role, not just the kids I teach, but all the kids in my school through the various things I do in my role. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, um, well, let's go a little bit further with that too. Like, how do you, um, how do you plan to continue to impact not just the kids in your school, but in your community too? Because I know a lot of times those high schools kind of join together in some ways. Um, and I know it's a little tough right now, obviously with the COVID stuff going on, but you know, how do you plan to do that? Just, just going further or going into the future? Yeah. So um, in New Orleans, I work in a couple of like smaller organizations that do some mentorship work or that do work in the community that across like, a variety of different like sectors. Mm -hmm. But I think in the high school realm, my big goal is to really start ways to like collaborate and share with other schools. So this year I'm working as a high school consultant and I work with five um, single site high schools here. So schools that do not have like big charter networks behind them. And I like support them on a variety of instructional things they need help with. Anything from the ACT to universal screeners to help with their EL population to um, instructional goals and priority they have selecting the right curriculum. And that's been cool because now you're like, once again, you're getting a chance to expand your impact, right? Like, I went from serving my 700 kids and working with the other two high schools in my network, so maybe like 2,000 kids yeah. to get into work with five other schools. Now we're talking about a couple more thousand kids that you get a chance to, you know, hopefully positively impact with your work. Yeah, that's special. That's special. Being able to spread it out like that because you're, you're touching a lot of people by doing that. And, you know, what, what else do you feel needs to be done to help improve it because obviously that's a tough community that you're in um and i kind of hate to you know say that but it, it is what it is you know as the great michelle obama just said earlier <laughs> it is what it is we gotta right. you know, talk about some of these things so um you know what what else do you feel needs to be done to so they can be you know better suited for what the next chapter is for them i think and what's true about New Orleans and probably true about lots of communities that maybe carry some of the same demographics as the students that I serve, right? It's like schools are, schools can be these phenomenal places of community if we allow them to be, right? And like kids can get so much out of school that's not just an education. Um, and they, and schools can be meeting places for community gatherings and places where we help families and community members get additional education, get additional resources, get health clinics, get support, but schools can't do everything. And I think right. a lot of the, the problems that we see in this city are like, there's actually just a lack of other social services and social resources that families need to be successful. And yeah. so like our kids need, like this is a city full of trauma, right? And like 
I think when you, and like being able to name that kids experience trauma in a variety of ways for a variety of reasons yeah. is cool that you, we can name it and that we know it's there. But what we really need is like citywide resources so that kids have access to high quality mental health services, the high quality counselors and high quality therapy, yeah. right? And then we need systems in place that support families with economic resources that they need to be successful. Um, there's just a lot of, there's a, this city lacks the infrastructure and the systems that support a robust social, like social supports that are that communities need here from housing to education yeah. to policing, like we all the things like, all the things that need to happen here require money right. and require structure and they just don't exist, right? Like what if you're, what if you're a police for a part of the community and not people who like just, who were just sent out when there was a problem, right? Like, what if you built like trust and community there? Like, um, we have people who work in who work to do all this work, right? In these small settings. Yeah. This is just not a city with that robust level of support. Yeah. And I wish I had like some sound effects so I could just hit like an air horn. Like you, you crushed that right there. Like that's so important in so many communities, like you said because you know you guys have them during you know that short time span during the day but when they go home and they're dealing with all those other traumas like how do they handle that just going from day to day and then you know you deal with those issues the next day when they come in and they bring in you know those issues from home and it's like you're starting all the way from from ground zero but if they had you know more structure for them and as well as their parents and them having you know the benefits of you know, or the resources, I should say, to help with their traumas, too, because that's often how it happens is those parents' traumas filtering down to the kids and then, you know, so on and so forth. So I think that's a great idea. You need to take that to somebody. We've got to talk to the mayor or something. Um, no, but uh, for, for the, last, the last thing I have for you is, you know, as, as a leader and, you know, just a successful individual, you kind of talked about this earlier, like you have to constantly evolve and um, you obviously gain inspiration from people or, or other places or motivation. So who, who has uh, or continues to inspire you uh, along your journey right now? I think like the umbrella answer is like black women. Okay. You know, like I think I draw so much inspiration and so much motivation from so many black women like and I would say like and it really starts at home like I think about grandma Dorothy I think about like grandma Sarah for me like those two women I think there's like I always tell people like I come from a strong line of black women like there's no way I'm gonna ever be defeated Trump stumped by anything like I think having that blood is I think my prime is like the first set of inspiration and then I think I look at people in history, like Fannie Lou Hamer, right? And like that perseverance and that resilience to never, ever, ever give up, even amidst, even amongst like insurmountable odds. Mm -hmm. I think, I think about people like Michelle Obama, like, man, like I want to be as like graceful and yes. elegant and powerful yeah. as she is every time she like opens her mouth to speak, right? Like so inspirational. Yes. Um, I just, they're just like, I got to meet Angela Davis one time, like people who are people who are just about the work, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think I draw a lot of inspiration from women who are really about the work, like Toni Morrison, 
like people who like you know really believe that like service to our community is is how we survive it's how we last it's how we thrive yeah. um yeah like black women like mm -hmm. they give me everything i need to like keep it pushing in this work win with black women i read that earlier right John Staley was win, win with black women let's go you know they need to be seen more and heard more that's the biggest thing you know so I, I like that answer a lot well i want to you know shout out all you teachers tutors professors everybody because i know in this profession in general it's tough and challenging but especially right now during the pandemic where you've had to you know change a lot of things in, in how you you know teach your students or you know connect with them you know i wanted to let y'all know that you're appreciated and we're we're, we're praying for y'all and, and and just wishing y'all the best in this next year right here and whatever that looks like um and also uh tell the people where how or where they can get in contact with you about your consulting business because because they need to hit you up you can email me at alexispsimpson.gmail.com. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Alexis Simpson McGee. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, PS underscore is Alexis. Same handle on Twitter. I appreciate you so much for being on here and taking the time. This has been a very, very fun and insightful conversation, as I talked about at the beginning. I always appreciate your perspective and um, just the way you think and people uh, will enjoy hearing this conversation. Yeah, like this is so fun. Who knew those two cousins who were like always arguing over like what to order and what to eat would like be where we are now.